0: Hello and welcome to the Medical Humanities Podcast, the official podcast of BMJ's Medical Humanities Journal. We invite you to listen in and join the conversation, from academic discussions happening in our journal, to interviews with filmmakers and artists, and global perspectives on health and medicine from around the world. Stay up to date with public discussions that matter to medicine and to the humanities, because life happens at the intersections. Welcome back to the Medical Humanities Podcast. I'm Brandi Scilache, Editor-in-Chief, and today we are going to talk a little bit about what it means for poetry to be part of medical humanities. We don't actually publish poetry in the print journal, but that doesn't mean that we don't see it as a really critical and important and informing aspect of the connection between medicine, health, and humanities. So today I have a couple of people with me to help us Tackle these questions. First, I have Sue Spencer, who is an associate editor here at Medical Humanities Journal and also a poet herself, and Owen Lewis, clinical professor of psychiatry at Columbia and a poet as well. Welcome to you both. And Sue, why don't you start us off by saying a few words about yourself and then we'll hear from Owen?
1: Hi, yes. So, my professional background is as a nurse, and I became interested in poetry about 15 years ago when I realized it could be a really effective way of communicating, ways of helping professionals listen more attentively to their patients and also help patients communicate with their healthcare professionals. Interesting. And um, Owen, tell us a bit about your work at Columbia.
2: Uh, so for almost 10 years now, I have been teaching within the narrative medicine program. Um, I teach much less psychiatry now. And the narrative medicine program, at least the piece I'm involved with um aims to train young physicians in um, capacities for listening, in capacities for reflection, and really connecting to the material that that they hear.
0: Mm-hmm. So you know, here at medical humanities, what we value most is a conversation where humanities and medicine are given equal time and equal respect, and where they share expertise between them. So, for instance, a literary scholar and a poet, and also a medical practitioner, are able to speak together for mutual benefit. Um, and so, one of the things that I think is valuable is to look at the ways in which poetry uh, by poets is very is often a disruptive kind of thing. It's it's something that allows you to to explore things that haven't been explored in other ways. And I think this gets back a little bit to what Sue was saying. So, Sue, as someone who's worked with patients and also is a poet yourself and aware of these literary traditions, um, in what ways do you think poetry is itself kind of empowering or disruptive?
1: I guess it can do both, and the disruption can be empowering in terms of being able to see things very differently. I'm very um, committed to perspective transformation to enable people in any relationship, but particularly in healthcare to be able to see other people's points of view. And poetry, well-written, powerful poetry with its imagery and metaphor can really disrupt um, people's ways of thinking about things, so helping them see familiar things in a different way. Okay. Um, Owen, I'm going to put the same question to you about how poetry both
0: on one hand is empowering and on the other hand is a disruptive force, and what does that offer? to say yourself as a poet, but also yourself as a, as someone who works in medicine.
2: So, um, if, if I think about young students, uh, coming in to the field, um, one of the first things poetry disrupts is the notion that there's a right and wrong answer. I mean, most of the students are there because they've gotten, they've done superlatively on their exams and they have not yet entered into domains of ambiguity, for the most part. And so to really teach listening and to to teach how to decode patience, one has to be comfortable with multiple interpretations and more than one um, interpretation being, in fact, correct and right. And the use of poetry, I, I find especially helpful because of its condensation, because of its compression. And it, it can be looked at, reflected upon, and then reflected upon the reflections in group. And suddenly the, the students expand their notion of what is right and wrong, expand the, the notion of multiple meanings. And uh, poetry is just a marvelous vehicle for accomplishing that.
0: Okay, that's really interesting. Now, I was a literary professor who taught poetry for several years at the collegiate level, um, including graduate students. And one of the things that occurs to me frequently when I see the different ways poetry is being utilized uh, in health practice is who is treated as the expert. So, for instance, when I'm teaching poetry to students, I'm usually bringing in a lot of historical context and literary criticism and social constructs. And talking about what the author themselves might have been trying to communicate. And so I wonder, once it's brought into the medical experience, once it's brought in as a means of reaching students, who is treated as the expert? Is it the humanities side, the literary construct, the poet themselves, the student?
2: Um, Well, I I think that that at least in the kinds of exercises we engage in with our students, there is a leveling. And let's say the novice, the student who is a novice at interpreting poetry has as much validity as the literary scholar um, who may be conducting a conversation. Because it's really pitched at the level of personally connecting to the material and trying to decode what is seen and heard in the material.
0: Okay. So there's an interesting point about accessibility here then. Um, Sue, what do you think?
1: I guess sometimes it can, particularly when I've been working with very experienced healthcare practitioners, very senior staff, um, reminding them of literary knowledge and um, maybe the language uses within the poems actually kind of Bring us back to talking about knowledge and different uses of knowledge within the medical field, which has often been seen as kind of excluding or you know, privileging particular knowledge over others. And so, the so poems can actually um, fuel a debate about you know who is the expert, and that that in itself can be um, particularly rich in terms of helping people recognize a different ways that people might look at the same thing. hmm
0: That's really interesting. So I uh, another question, and that is, um, it sounds like there's lots and lots of good things about integrating uh, the reading of poetry into a curriculum. What happens when we turn the 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 student or the medical practitioner into the poet? And I know you're both poets, so this is kind of a, um, a leading question. But do you approach poetry differently as a writer of poetry than you do, say, as someone using it in a curriculum?
1: I'm probably far more critical of my own poetry, um, and it's probably um, inhibited my own poetry writing um, in some ways, because um, once you're versed in contemporary poetry, you can see the limitations of your own perspective. Um but i've increasingly started using poetry um within a sort of um ethnographic way in in using small poems as a way of crystallizing particular experiences and that's also been a really useful way of reflecting on what poetry is doing with language but also with experience and and how that conversation can actually um, enable practitioners to value good poetry in, in terms of actually the, um, the effect it has on us, both emotionally, but also in shifting our perspective.
2: What I would say is I am forever impressed with the generosity and magnanimity of my students in being able to hear within each other what the other is trying to express that um, may go way beyond their capacity to articulate it. I mean, even um, I mean, the the kind of um, sessions we do involve both reading and writing, and even in their own writing, to be able to hear something freshly, to be able to move beyond what maybe wasn't said, and encourage um, their fellow students to to bring that into the room. Um, I I think having a a small-ish trusting group is very essential for um, sort of moving beyond one's own standards of the poem. And and again, what I do in my own poetry, um, I don't expect the students to do, but um, it sort of keeps me very fresh and... um, um, not wedded to any, you know, one particular mode of expression, which then opens up um, the capacity to hear all kinds of voices and and all kinds of modes of um, presenting poetry.
0: You know, that, that really leads wonderfully into uh, my third question, which, you know, it's a question of ownership to a degree. Um, and I, you know, there's ways in which literary studies feels It has some ownership in poetry. There's ways in which the poet feels as they have some ownership. There's ways in which the reader feels they have ownership, right, of a poem. So the question I have is, um, in what ways can poetry, uh, and and this is true of other forms of creative expression, I think, get beyond the disciplinary boundaries, right, beyond med school, beyond literary studies? In what ways can it empower patients, minorities, uh, those whose voices Aren't normally heard. I guess what I'm asking is, what's its capacity for change?
2: I think um, one has to ask, what What are we trying to change? Um, I mean, to some extent, um, the system of medical care, I think, needs changing in that it's evolved to um, a profession of checklists and. Paradigms of prescription and the role of listening and the connection between patient and doctor um, has been frayed. So, putting an intense um, dwelling on narrative representation um, is is extremely important in sensitizing both young and more experienced practitioners to the role of language to connect us. And and it's really, uh, you know, I like to think sometimes that what I find so refreshing about teaching poetry in medical settings is that I feel like the poetry does real work in the world. And, um, you know, when I'm with my poet colleagues, and, you know, sometimes at a reading, of just poets, I mean, it, it it can become quite insular, and and yes, we're we're so pleased to hear one another, but is it is it really doing work in the world? And I never question that in in the medical setting.
1: Hmm. What do you think, Sue? I guess because I I've become more and more committed to sort of uh, poetry as a form of being able to kind of explore social justice and influenced by Audre Lorde and Adrian Rich in terms of their writings, you know, 20, 30 years ago and, and being able to kind of address inequalities and uses of power within society. And, and I believe that's the disruptive edge that we still need to explore a bit more, particularly in the UK, because it can, like Owen's saying, it can feel quite comfortable in your own insular group, um, And that there needs to be some way of being able to kind of explore this so that we're not all very comfortable with each other. But actually, there are some frictions where people are maybe disagreeing about certain issues, but then honouring the fact that knowledge can be created from that. And that if we recognise where there are um, injustices and that we can actually acknowledge that those need to be addressed, then poetry may be a very powerful way of doing that.
0: That's very true. And and poetry, um, since I used to have to teach the history of
1: it, uh, poetry
0: has a long history of that, right? Uh, th- there's a, a way in which it was um, sometimes quite veiled attempts at getting information out there that might not be allowed to be spoken. I'll use Walt Whitman as an excellent example of that, um, and some of the beat poets too. Um, what about patients writing poems to other patients? I think we live in a world now with between um, patient platforms and uh, people going online into these these communities of of illness and and disease and wanting to discuss this with other patients, do you both think that poetry is something that maybe can also maybe speak a patient's uh, one from one patient to another, but also from one doctor to another, using these as modes of expression?
2: Yes, absolutely, and and to the extent that poetry becomes. Uh, for the writer, a reflected upon statement about one's experience and um, dwelling a little bit on how one wants to put one's experience out there. Um, I mean, as long as as there are forums that that really invite conversation, um, I, I think it becomes a very powerful tool of connecting or uh, of of allowing patients to represent their their real experience which then calls out from others a truer kind of response
0: okay yeah i can i can see that and
1: sue yeah i think the the key here is about facilitating that dialogue and and responsiveness because um some very bad poems can be shared <laughs> Which can be often about um, telling people, you know, the angst and suffering, um, and not about poetry in, in terms of its, um, you know, tropes and um, heightened use of language and like Owen says about particularly when it's concise. You know, um, I've read lots of poems that are very long, and you can see that they're important for the person to write. Because they enable them to process um, experiences, but whether in the sharing of them they help other people, I think that sometimes does need to be enabled in a particular structured way, rather than read as you know a kind of truth. See what I mean?
0: Right, right. And this this gets down to something that um, again I used to teach literature, but I also taught creative writing. And it's very tricky when you teach literature, literary poetry, then we can all sit down and we can look at a poem that's quite famous. It's Emily Dickinson, or it's you know Walt Whitman. and everyone can kind of come at it as readers and bring something fresh to it. When you're teaching creative writing, it's much harder as a professor to know how to bring a critical eye to something. Um, for instance, if I'm not critiquing it to publish it, what what is my role as a professor? Do I tell this person who has just written a poem about, you know, some deeply traumatic experience that it is a quote unquote bad poem? Um, I might not publish it, but does that make it bad? There, and I think that that's another thing that there's big differences between poetry as something that we read and poetry that is something that we practice as a means of self-expression.
2: When I'm teaching um, the craft of, of poetry writing, uh, particularly with medical students um i'm i'm not trying to um you know have them write the most accomplished poetry I, I want to advance their capacity to express things in a meaningful way so for instance um we do group editing and i can often show them um well, if we let go of the, these words and, and change a line break or two and and, and rejigger the stanzaia structure, if they see um, a stronger emotional expression begin to emerge, they get very, very excited. So it, it's really a step-by-step teaching craft, um, not so much the question, is it good or is it bad? But... Have we made it better? Have we made it more meaningful? Have we made it more impactful? And when they they taste that excitement, they really, really take off.
1: Yeah. That's exactly what um, I've I've started doing a lot more is actually that kind of shared processing of what's actually going on here. And that there seems to be some extra learning that then happens about how you honor what's going on, but also that. And commitment to listening as well
0: I I would almost say that I think when it comes to poetry used in literary studies or used in medicine or among patients the listening and the writing really do kind of have to go together if you if you've not if you're not a reader of poetry it's very difficult to understand um, the structure and how to express it and if you're someone who writes poetry I feel you get a deeper appreciation for how poems are written so um, I do think that there's a, a It's not just speaking, it's definitely listening. And I feel that both of you have really said that. Um, Let me ask one final question just to wrap us up today. And that is, um, in terms of your own interest in poetry, do you have favorites? Are there people that you return to again and again as someone, you know, for your own edification, let's say?
2: I suppose I come back very frequently to William Carlos Williams. Um, there's a way in which he's both formal poet but brings contemporary voice into his writing. So he he for one is, is a poet I read again and again and and particularly when teaching in a medical setting he, he provides, a lot of inspiration for young doctors as well.
1: My most favorite poet is Elizabeth Bishop. um, And I go back to her work time and time again, Uh, Mary Oliver um, in terms of American poets. And then in in the UK, we have so many contemporary poets, but the ones that first came to me were Joe Bell and Kim Moore, who are doing a lot to enable more people to write better poetry. Um, And I feel that as poets, being generous about sharing the craft feels to me like a very important next step if we are to um, help people write well and then communicate with um, a wider audience. And
0: as medical humanities is actually something that extends well beyond medicine into things like health and community, and social, you know, social justice, I think that 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 level of communication is really, really important. And the level of communication that the two of you have shared with us today is incredibly important. So I want to thank you both for joining us. And maybe we'll be able to do uh, another one in a series down the road. Thanks again to you, Owen, and to you, Sue, for joining us at the Medical Humanities Podcast. Thank
2: you. Bye-bye.
0: Thank you for listening to the Medical Humanities Podcast. Stay in touch by reading the journal or our blog online. Just follow the links in the episode description. We're also on Twitter at MedHums underscore BMJ or find us on Facebook.